Hello, everyone. Welcome to the goddamn podcast. This is Mark Joseph Bennett. No theme song, no bullshit. Mostly bullshit, still no theme song. Listen up, everybody. I went to see Brian Regan, one of the greats. If you don't know Mr. Brian Regan, get off your ass. Shut off this podcast. What are you doing listening to the likes of me anyway? Christ Almighty, get your shit together. Turn me off. My God in heaven. Go listen to something worth listening to, and that is Mr. Brian Regan. And uh, this guy, if you don't know who he is, he's just, he's a clean comedian. You know what? I shouldn't have said that first, because that now a bunch of you are like, oh, fuck that. I don't like clean stuff. Let me tell you something. Here's how I found out about Brian Regan. Me? And my buddy, uh, Brian, no, Brian Hope, no relation to Brian Regan. They both just have the same first name. So Brian Hope and uh, York Sakura and Rick Zabricki and Steve Dillon. Uh, they are now amongst those people. They're York Sakura and Rick Zabricki. Isn't that a bunch of unique names? Those are some unique names for all white guys. We were just a carload of white children. We were like 20 years old, and uh, but those are the names. Zubricki and uh, Sakura, you know? And those two guys, they're not, uh, they're not doing comedy anymore. They uh, have much better sense, and they have real lives. York is some kind of uh, business guru, and, uh, and Rick is a, is a teacher. Now, we all piled in a car. We were doing amateur comedy at the time in Ottawa, Canada. The same place that Norm MacDonald and Jim Carrey started. The Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, Canada. And um, we decided, let's take a road trip to the Mecca. The Mecca of stand-up comedy, which is New York City. So we, uh, we got in York's car, and we drove down to watch stand-up comedy at uh, the Cellar. And Caroline's. So two very famous comedy clubs. And it was amazing. It was so much fun. And uh, at the time, too, we when we saw The Cellar, some of the people we watched, because we were there late, you know, some of them were only okay and some weren't that strong at all. And we were all like, we can, we can all do fucking comedy. We can do comedy in New York. You know, it made us feel really good. Granted, that, that was like 14 years ago. And I don't think any of us do comedy in New York. But still, we could. We could. We just don't. And um, actually, York was the one driving. And it was he, he was driving a stick shift. And uh, nobody else knew how to drive that except York. And York started falling asleep at the wheel. Because, because we were young and poor, we, we drove down uh, nine hours. And then we, we turned around. To drive straight back. Oh my god. What a what a bunch of fucking idiots. What the hell were we thinking? Nine nine hour drive, go down, watch a comedy show, get back in the car, drive back home. Anyway, York of course started falling asleep like you would. And now I have this thing. My baby has this thing. I have passed this trait to my baby, much to the chagrin of my wife is uh, I don't need to sleep 
unless I tell myself to go to sleep. Like I, I will stay up indefinitely. I'll never just fall asleep. I have to actively go, you know what? It's time to go to bed. Mark, get your shit in a pile and go to bed. It's 4.30 in the morning. Stuff like that. That's how conversations go in my head late at night. And uh, my baby's got the same thing. He won't sleep. He won't sleep unless he's actively put to sleep. And he'll protest. It's, uh, it's not a good way to live. But the guys knew that. So York was like, hey, Mark, you got to drive home, buddy. You got and I had never driven the stick shift before. And York's like, I'll tell you how to do it. From the passenger seat, he starts barking directions at me as we're driving a hundred kilometers an hour on highways. And I drove for like nine hours. He said, Once you get into fifth gear, just you just stay there, man. I was like, What if I need to brake or slow down? He said, Oh, just wake me up. Yeah. No flaws in this plan. And we survived. Honest to fuck. Everything just went fine. I still can't drive a stick shift. Yeah, I mean, un- unless I have a sleeping York Sakura next to me, barking directions. Other than that, I can't do it at all. So, um, oh, right. I forgot <laughs> the story. Just look, guys, I got nostalgic. You know, I uh, lost my train of thought. I was talking about Brian Regan. On the way down, when York was still awake, we were, they said, uh, hey, you want to turn on some Brian Regan? And all the other guys were like, yeah. I was like, who's Brian Regan? And they were like, oh, dude, you got to listen to this guy. And so they turn on this CD uh, called Live, Brian Regan Live. And it's one of the all-time great comedy CDs. People in the comedy circles, this one is revered. Came out in like, I don't know, 1990, something like that. And uh, we're dying, literally dying laughing as as we're driving down the road. And uh, when it was over... Then Brian Hope, he turns back to me and he says, and can you believe it? That that it's in completely 100% clean material. And I was like, are you, are you sure? Are you fucking kidding me? And they were like, yeah, yeah. There's not one sex joke, not a swear word, not a jerk, not a nothing. And I was like, that was completely corporate clean comedy. And they were like, yeah. I was like, but that was the funniest thing I've ever heard. We're like, that's why the guy's a fucking genius. He's, it's impossible. What he does is impossible. He's so funny, you don't notice at all that it is the most safe comedy ever because you're too busy busting your guts. Guys like Seinfeld, Revere, uh, Brian Regan, people like Patton Oswalt, Bill Burr. Oh, Bill Burr, who who is a very sweary comedian. He's, he's a very gruff, blue-collar type comic, even though he doesn't think blue-collar. He sounds blue-collar. Um, Bill Burr, he's, his greatest, he, the greatest comedian in the world to Bill Burr is Brian Regan. So go check him out. So we went down, and the show was amazing. The guy's fucking, he's like, I don't know what he is now, 60? And I, I apologize to Brian Regan if he's listening, and he's not 60. Let's say 55. But um, he's probably, yeah, he's probably older than 55. And just a brand new hour. You know what? He signed one of the deals with Netflix. You guys know, longtime listeners of the podcast, you know that I've been saying that Netflix is probably going to ruin stand-up comedy. And out of love. They're going to ruin it out of love. It's, it's like, when, like when parents spoil their children. Netflix was partially built on the back of stand-up comedy. 
We were like the Chinese railroad builders of Netflix. We, um, we were cheap. It's just a guy standing there with a microphone. And then you film it, and then, and then you sell it. That's it. It's such an easy... So Netflix bought up a lot of stand-up comedy, and that's what a lot of people tuned in first when the streaming service was first going. When back they were selling DVDs, you know, well, well, you know, doing the mail order DVDs, and then their streaming service started, and everyone was like, oh, this fucking sucks. There's no, no content on this. Well, a little bit of comedy, so stand-up's pretty good. And so people were tuning into the stand-up, and Netflix kept building it. And now they're a juggernaut. They're bigger than fucking cable TV at this point. But they know where they came from. All right? Like the rappers who are helping out in the, the city, inner city streets. They remember. They knew who built the, the house and was the stand-ups. They built it with laughter. Bricks of laughter. So they're paying it forward. Or paying it back. Pay, let's say pay it back, I think, is a more apt description. They're signing all kinds of big-name comedians to these gigantic multi-million dollar deals. And they're also buying comedy from lesser-known comedians. But, uh, and that's why I think it's going to break. It's just that there's, so, there's such a demand for it. And Netflix, God love them. God loved our cotton socks, as my mom would say. They're, they're, they're trying to do the right thing. It's just comedians can't churn out. This is, look, I'm saying it. Comedians can't churn out a brand new hour every year. They all think they can, myself included. But we can't, all right? Louis C.K. comes the closest. He comes the closest. He He's pretty consistent. But he is, you know, at times, he's a bit of a parody of himself, you know. But, but he, his consistency is... I think the greatest. And, um, yeah, I would say Louie. But everybody else really struggles putting out a special. They'll put out one, then the next one they put out will stink, and then they'll put out another one, and then maybe that one will redeem them. But, like, it's a lot of hit and miss, a lot of hit and miss going on in comedy. And there's only so much an audience is going to take it as shit. So, I don't know. That's why. And I like, what are you going to blame the comedians? For for years, for forever, most of us have been dirt poor. I still am. I still am. Netflix not shoveling money down my throat. They should. You know, maybe if I taped a special and sold it to them, maybe uh, you know, I can't blame them for not not coming down to the parking garage here and uh, knocking on the window of the Toyota Prius recording studio. And going, hey, Merck, we we got uh, wind that you occasionally do comedy in Toronto. Would you like a special? No, you gotta got you gotta go. You know, get asses in seats. You gotta tape a nice special with all the red cameras, the HD, 8K red camera, red weapon, epic, whatever the fuck they're called. You shoot it on the prime lenses, and you get the professional crew. You get the jib. Got to get the jib in there, and the crane, the jib, and the jib crane. Oh, don't forget the jib crane and the dolly. You got to get those dolly shots. What are you? You're, not, you're gonna do a routine without dolly shots? What are you, a fucking simpleton? Ah, get some production value in there. You know, you get that wireless lav mic going, as well as the mic from the from the board. 
Oh, get the production value up. Then you go to Netflix, you knock on the door. Yeah, Mr. Netflix, would you like to purchase this lovely comedy special that I taped? And then they say, why, yes, we would. At least that, that's how it seems to be. They, they're buying a lot of specials. So all this to say that I know their heart in the right place, but I do feel it's going to cause of a bit of a, a tipping point where people go, okay, you know what? There's enough. The comedy, stand-up comedy, is, it's just not going to be in vogue soon. But in the meantime, Brian Regan has been signed to one of those deals. Two specials. And let me tell you something. I'm excited. I'm excited about it. First of all, what we just saw is going to be a special, obviously, because he's taping it in a month. And uh, in case you don't know, is there anyone who doesn't know how this works? That you, you know, people still come up to me at shows and they're like, so, hey, now what you said tonight, was that like the first time you've ever said that? And I was, uh, the 45-minute the crafted set of material I just did as a headliner when everybody paid 20 bucks to get in plus their food and drinks you think I just did that tonight and only tonight and tomorrow I'm gonna do a brand new 45 minutes Jesus Christ like who there are people who think that Guys, even improv comedians, they, there's a big misconception about improv. Now, I'm not an improv comedian, so you improvers out there, don't you go, you know, they're not going to fight me, they're improvers. Um, don't go writing, you know, long-winded emails with your thick, horn-rimmed glasses about uh, how I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But here is the thing about improv. They are games, they're, it's not that they're parlor tricks, and some people are, are great at it. Ryan Stiles, guys. Ryan Stiles from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, he, was, uh, he was also on the Drew Carey Show. And now that fucking guy, Jesus, improv, Colin Mockery, a lovely Canadian improv specialist. Love those guys. A lot of people know Wayne Brady. I'm not going to get on the Wayne Brady train. Loved his segment on the Chappelle Show. Really love that. Very funny. But, uh, anyway, he, he just doesn't do it for me hilarity-wise. That's just me. Ryan Styles, Colin Mockery, they do it. And no, it's not because I'm racist and Wayne is black and those two are white. That's not the case. It's just, that's a total coincidence. So, what was I talking about? Right, improv. Improv are just... They're, they're not just, but they're games. So they there's a structure is what I'm saying. So even those guys, they don't, it's well-honed craft. They don't just, sure, night to night, there are different dynamics. Maybe the audience shouts a slightly different job or something sort of happens off the cuff. And in stand-up, the same thing, all right? That sometimes, you know, a waitress will drop uh, a server. Sorry, sorry, servers out there. Didn't mean to call you waitresses. Oh, my God, guys. These, this day and age, you've got to watch what you're saying. You know, I here I am. I call, I call someone a waitress. All of a sudden, white privilege getting thrown around. Oh, Mark, you and your white privilege calling us all waitresses. Yes, we're your servants. We're your slaves. you got to be careful with what you're saying these days. Every, what? Mind your P's and Q's. Ladies and gentlemen, mind your P's and Q's. 
But yeah, in stand-up, you can also have an element of uh, spontaneity. You know, there are uh, things that happen in the club. Some off-the-cuff remarks. Maybe you get involved with an audience memory, say some funny things. No doubt, that happens almost every night. There's always a little bit of that shit. Unless you're doing a theater. Then you're just doing a straight routine. So for the people out there who honestly don't realize that comedians have acts, that's what they have, and they have them for specific periods of time, usually. And that's what I mean when Netflix is like, they're buying these new specials, so a comedian has to build a new hour, you know, and then then they sell that off, and then they build another hour. And now they're doing it. These, these guys are doing it in like three to four months. It's fucking ridiculous. You can't get it done. But I digress. The Brian Regan show was amazing. It was amazing. And here is something else that's amazing. We left our baby for the first time in his natural life. It, uh, we left him alone, you know, put him on the, we put him on the balcony, just strapped into his, uh, little baby chair there. Figured he can't get in any trouble out there, right? No, obviously we had to hire a sitter and we hired a fucking sitter. I don't know why I called her a fucking sitter, but, um, we used one of Sarah's co-workers, nannies. We, somebody we could trust, we, we felt. Although I tell you what, when I, when I left that apartment, I'm like, wait a second. Why do I trust her exactly? Sure, maybe she hasn't stolen any kids in the past. But I mean, that's not like anyone's nanny has ever stolen. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's not like, hey, hey, is your nanny, is she any good? Can she babysit our kids? It's like, well, you know, she's stolen a couple of kids, but she hasn't done that in years, guys. She's reformed, all right? No more selling kids. So, I mean, it, like the first time it happens is the only time it happens. And then it's a story, right? So I, I didn't, I don't know. I started to leave going, what do we really even, what do we know about this woman? That she has worked previously for this woman, Natalie? What good does that do us if she takes our child? He is a little white baby boy. That is top dollar on the black market. Top dollar, guys. That's not racist. That's just facts. Okay? Wayne Brady's, his son, is just not going to get that same level of money that our son will get. And And it's not because he's not as good. You know? I believe all babies should be sold at an equal value. I honestly believe that. But I'm just saying, ours is, ours is you know, it's, it's the, uh, the Toyota Highlander of babies. It's the most sought-after stolen thing in its genre. So I'm freaking out about it. But everything went fine. Everything went fine. Probably I wouldn't be recording a podcast uh, if instead I was out there trying to track down my stolen baby. Yeah, or if I'd already tracked him down, I would have opened with that. I wouldn't have waited this long to get into it. I would have started with, guys, my baby was stolen. We got him back and here's the story. That would that be a compelling podcast. Not worth it. Not worth it. 
to have an interesting podcast based on your stolen baby. Okay? So the lady who took care of the baby is a Filipino lady. That should not come as a surprise to anyone who is in Canada because there are a lot of Filipino nannies who uh, take care of kids around here. And uh, they have a great reputation. And with good reason. The Filipino nannies, boy, Christ almighty. They work hard. They're on time. You can trust them. They don't sell your babies. So let me tell you something. I mentioned white privilege earlier in the podcast, maybe like a minute and a half ago. And I have never felt it more in my life. And now this is coming from a guy, all right, who went to West Africa multiple times. I visited Sarah's family in the Côte d'Ivoire, in the Ivory Coast, West Africa, where there is a great deal of poverty and a great deal of just in a developing nation. Let's just say that. It's a developing nation. I don't know why they call them developing when they're not being developed. You know, and this isn't to try to be, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just, that, that is a good question. A developing nation in what way? In fact, the, the, the Ivory Coast is going backward. They, they were developing pretty well in the 60s and 70s. And then just shit at the fan and everything's falling apart. Can you still call it a developing nation? I guess it's developing into something bad, I suppose. It's still, the, the word developing still stands. So I have been, I have been to some places, you know, where I have felt the guilt of the white privilege. No doubt. I went to uh, Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos. Felt it there too, buddy. But never have I felt it the way that I did sitting in my apartment with that Filipino woman. My God in heaven. So... She was trying to reassure us about leaving the child. She goes, I know it's hard. I have two children myself. And when you leave them, it's always difficult. Now, she was currently not with her child, her three-year-old, because she was babysitting our child. But it's all right. Her husband, no, her aunt, her aunt was babysitting her child. She should have just brought him over. Anyway, but they wouldn't do that. See, they don't ask because they're afraid that, you know what? I don't want to overstep my bounds. You know why? Because they, they, they fucking work. They do it by the book, these Filipino nannies. They don't, they don't say, they wouldn't even consider bringing their own child over because, you know what? I signed up for a job. I'm showing up to do it solo, not asking for any special treatment. You get, you get some blonde white lady, she'll show up with her whole fucking family, drinking her Starbucks, you know, teasing her hair. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what privileged white women do. So she's reassuring us. She's saying, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Everybody goes through this. Just go out, enjoy yourselves, have a good time. Um... 
And she said, you know, with her situation, you know, she's had to uh, leave her children before for longer stretches of time. And we're like, oh, really? So uh, how long? And she said, oh, I left my daughter for three years. Excuse me? For how long now? She said for three years. She left her daughter back in the Philippines because she had to come to Canada to try to make some money so that she could send for her daughter later. She, would only, she only had the one child at the time. And we said, how old was your daughter? Five. Her daughter was five years old, and she left for three years. And then she, she ensconced herself in Canada. She, she created a life for herself. She sent for her husband and her daughter. And then they came over. And then she had her second kid, you know, a couple years ago. And honest to fucking God, I'm worried about leaving that little blob of a rug rat up there for a two-hour show. And I'm, like, racked with guilt. You know, and, and worry. What if something happens? And this woman has to leave. And for those, for any of you out there dumb enough to think that she shouldn't have left her kid, you don't know shit. She had to do it. It's a story I hear time and time again. Their conditions aren't good. So they have, in order to give their kids a chance at some kind of life, they have to make that type of sacrifice. Honest to fucking God. You know, when I'm, I'm listening to all the North American shit and the Donald Trump and the rallies and the whatever, and I, I get it. There are problems everywhere. But is, like, is there a bigger thing than having to leave your kids in some place that you, you're fleeing, basically, because the conditions are so poor that you need to do something for the future of your children, but you can't just take them with you. You just leave them there. Well, I tell you what. I mean, it... You know what, though? It didn't really make me less worried about my son. In fact, it it made me a little more worried at the time. I'll tell you why. Because I'm thinking about how bad things are from where she's from. And she was talking about how families that she knows are struggling mightily right now. There was a fire and uh, members of her family... They lost four homes. So she's still, so now she's trying to raise money to go build their homes back, let alone take care of her own self and her children. And I started thinking about the market value of that white little baby. You know, and I was thinking, that's an easy way out. That would, you can build a few houses in the Philippines on that little boy's price tag, I'll tell you what. But she didn't do it. You see what kind of people we're talking about? Integrity. Could have solved all of her problems. She would have disappeared. How are we going to fucking track her down? There's a lady. She's Filipino. Her name is Josie. That is all we know. She took our baby. 
And now she runs a five-star resort, a five-star resort in the Philippines. But I tell you what, like I, I don't, I like it. Sort of, it made me feel bad because I don't know, I don't know how to make that better, you know, other than pretending it's not happening, pretending that people aren't leaving. She and I'm sure the Philippines isn't the only place. Obviously, I was talking to. Uh, to some guy in Ottawa who was from, um, where was he from? Sri Lanka. And he was saying roughly the same thing. Left his fa- In fact, his family was still over there, and he was working a security guard job. And he said, yeah, so I've left my kids, and I've got, you know, I got a baby. Because he was looking at Sam. Sam's a baby. And he was like, I have a baby Sam's age. I'm like, oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, is he walking yet or what? And he was like, ah, he's, he's in Sri Lanka. And uh, so I'm going to try to get up enough money and then we're going to I'm going to bring them all over. I'm like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake, you know. Just the shit that other people have to do. You don't realize how easy it is to be born in a certain place. Hey, you know, you really you, you don't. I'm not saying you can't have problems, guys. I don't have any bones. All right. Long-time listeners to the podcast, you you know my bones are gone. Not that that is a problem. All right, people people get sick and they die. That's a problem. You know, sometimes people lose their jobs. And they don't have any money. Problems. I'm not saying there's no problems. But uh boy oh boy. Did you have to leave your kid? For three years? Jesus. Jesus in the garden. I just, now now I just want to hire her all the time. And just so I can give her money. I'm like, here you go. Because she wouldn't take charity, I'll tell you that much. Integrity. You could try to give her money, but but she'll work. Like, it, it's amazing. Like, we, we, we kicked around a few, you know, hey, there's this date and this date at this time. Would you be free? Yes. Yes, I would be. What work like that? That fucking drive. I what you, you have work? You have work to offer me? I'll give you some work. I, boom, work. You know, it's the same thing with the lady who cleans the apartment. She is also Filipino and she's also a nanny. She's probably also a supervisor at a construction site because she won't stop working. She works and works and works. And it's the same thing. She's sending money over all the time. Sending money over. She did She did a similar thing. She left for a while. Uh, she had to leave her, her husband and her kids. Um, but it didn't take her as long, I don't believe. And then she sent for them. And now they're all over here. And everyone's having a great life. And I tell you what. Makes you, makes you, makes you appreciate Canada a little bit, too. You know, these people, like, to make that type of sacrifice. Holy fuck. Then you better be going somewhere where it's worth it. And where do they choose? Canada. So good for you, whoever runs Canada. What's his name? Jocelyn Trudeau. Justin. That's it. Old Justin Trudeau. Good job, buddy. Anyway, the show was good. (laughs) Not to change topics abruptly. I don't know how you I don't know how you get out of this topic. Once you once you're once you're here and you're talking about the plight of others. It's just I don't know. It's good to remember. 
It's good to remember. You should still work on yourself. I am working on myself, guys. You know, I'm in my lap of luxury. Oh, wait. No, I didn't finish about the, uh, the lady who cleans our house. Works constantly. And we were going back and forth between a couple of cleaners. We had this cleaning service and then, and then this uh, other lady who was just by herself cleaning. She would do three hours and the service would only do one hour because they would send four people. You know, and um, so originally I liked the idea of people not being in the apartment that long. But this group, I don't know, entitled white people. That's the only way to describe them. It's just, and it's happened. We've, we've hired three different services. And when, and these services that are Canadian-run businesses with Canadian citizens born and raised in Canada. There's just, it's, it's, there's a lot of, oh, I don't know what to say. They just do a half-assed job and then they, uh, then they expect a tip. And this Filipino lady, she shows up on time, like to the second if she says she's going to be there at 10, I'm pretty sure she waits in the hallway at 9.59 and just until the clock ticks over to 10, then you knock, knock, knock. And then she stays for three hours and she does a great fucking job and she's by herself. Never complains. If Whenever you're, you ask her, she just, yeah, I'm free. I'm free. I'll do it. Let me do it. Would you like me to do more? She actually offered to uh, to become the nanny for Sam. And I was like, well, listen, that's a great offer, but I'm already here. Now, if you want to take care of the both of us, we can work something out. Me and Sam can sit down, watch some TV, you know, and uh, you, can, you can tuck us in, in a blanket. That's actually not a bad idea. Maybe we will do that. Because I tell you guys, I'm at my wit's end. This baby, which is why now I'll get into that I'm taking care of myself. Meditating. Now, I haven't done it yet, but I downloaded the app. So I'm almost there. Guys, Nirvana is within my reach. That's the goal of meditating, isn't it? Fucking Nirvana. It smells like teen peace. Peace and quiet. So I, I, I'm doing the Headspace. It's a very popular app. Maybe some of you know it. And I like the guy's voice. That's why I'm doing it. You just need 10 minutes a day, man. 10 minutes a day is all you need. Now, granted, I had several opportunities today to do a 10-minute session. Didn't do it. But tomorrow's another day, guys. I got to do something. And you know, while I recognize how easy my life is, here's... One of the things with an easy life, all right? And this isn't a complaint about an easy life. It's an observation. Those are very different things. An easy life makes you contemplative, all right? It makes you muse. What do I want to do with my life? How should I invest my time? Should I get a latte or a pumpkin-spiced latte? But what can happen is a paralysis of action. 
where you just mulling things over in your head. Where what what will give my life meaning? What should I do? You know, when people who struggle more, they do what they need to do. They're very they have a very clear cut. Now don't get me wrong, their lives are much worse. People who are in more desperate situations don't have better lives than people who are privileged. But the privileged people will there's high rates of suicide amongst the most privileged in the world. I think Sweden has the highest rate of suicide. I think I talked about this on the podcast before. Apparently suicide is a big topic for me. But guys, I'm fine. I'm doing the meditation, right? No, I'm I'm fine. I don't contemplate suicide. I'm going to put that right out there. Because that's the first thing that a psychiatrist or a psychologist will will ask you. Have you had suicidal thoughts? Louis Louis has a good bit about that on his new 2017 special. If you had have suicidal thoughts? And uh he said, "Of course, of course I do. Everyone does." But they really mean it. The psychiatrist and the psychologist, and maybe Louis does. He could be a very depressed individual, I'm not sure. But uh, I will say that I don't. I never have them for real. I mean, once in a while, you know, you have, like, you remember an embarrassing moment. And you're like, oh, I should fucking kill myself. I'm such an idiot. But you don't mean that you're going to, like, you know, go to the hardware store and buy some rope. You're just, you're just embarrassed for a second. A stat almost everybody knows is that the highest rate of suicide amongst professions is dentists. You want to know why? Because the dentists, is they, they got it easy. You know, they set up their practice. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. They get bored. You know, and then the routine and it kicks in. The, the grind. No pun intended. And they just they consider the minutia of living. Let me tell you something. I have, I have the secret, the secret of life I'm about to give to you. Probably like, I'm almost 40 minutes into the podcast here. You know, when you have the secret of life, maybe you should, should lead with that. You know, unless your baby was stolen. Then secret of life is, is the second story. The secret of life is that you won't find any meaning because there is no meaning. Now, the problem with that is that's heavy. That's a heavy thing for people. Just, just, yeah, you're an animal, all right? And like an ant or a, a dog, I guess an ant is an insect, but like a dog, monkey, a monkey. Let me tell you something. If you don't think we're monkeys, get yourself a baby. That baby might as well be a shaved monkey. Like, lately I've been trying to help him walk because he's 13 months old now and he doesn't walk yet. And people are like, is he walking? Is he walking? No, he's not walking. Go fuck yourself. Stop asking. He'll walk when he wants to walk. But anyway, it looks like he's trying to walk a little bit. So I take his two hands and he walks like an orangutan. And it just it's hilarious. Shaved monkey. Is what this kid is. I was I talking about? Yeah, you're just, you're just going through life. You're getting some food. You're getting some shelter, and then you die, and then there's nothing. I'm assuming. I don't know for sure. You know, I guess that makes me agnostic. I don't say agnostic because I feel like it's, 
I feel like religious people, when you say agnostic, they're like, yeah, you, that's because you don't. You're unsure. Well, I'm sure. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you're not right. That's all I'm, that's what I'm sure about. I don't think there's anything. Um, maybe there is. What the fuck do I know? Could be. I'm pretty sure nobody else knows. So, you know, if you, if you're Catholic, if you're Muslim, you don't fucking know. You don't know. Nobody knows. So if you examine your life too deeply, you're going to start realizing nothing means nothing. And you're going to want out because it's a terrifying thought. But you find, you look guys, here's another secret. Another secret to life. You find happiness in the small pleasures in life. You know, read a book. Watch a movie. Go twirl in a meadow. There are lots of things to love about life. Let me tell you something. These Filipino ladies are happy as shit. I don't know if they're putting on a brave face for me. But they are happy people. And, and not just happy because they're over here. They're happy over there. When I, was, when I was in West Africa, you see the people having nothing, still smiles on their faces, laughing, dancing, singing. Same thing in Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, same thing. People enjoying their lives. You don't, you don't have to have it easy all the time to enjoy your life. And if you do have it easy all the time, a lot of those people aren't enjoying their lives. You got to you got to look for the good. You know, I love entertainment. I really do. I mean, I dedicated my life to it, guys. So I will give you an unsolicited television review. This one is about Twin Peaks. Now, spoiler alert, I haven't watched the new, the 2017 Twin Peaks. I'm five episodes into that. So that's as far as I can go with the analysis. But I did watch the full original series. All right, now here's why I did that. So what happened was I turn on the 2017 series. I had not seen Twin Peaks before. It premiered in 1990. And uh, at the time, I would have been... 12 years old. 12-year-old kids aren't watching Twin Peaks. So I never saw the show. When I turn on... in, So 27... And for those of you who don't know, Twin Peaks came out in 1990 and uh, went for two seasons. Then 27 years pass, and David Lynch, the director, uh, does a a follow-up to that fucking series, if you can believe it. Which is mind-blowing and exciting. So I start, I turn on the first episode of the 2017, and it's so good. Oh my God, it's so good that I went, that's it. I got to go back and watch the old one to make sure I'm up to date. I start watching the old one, and the first season's pretty good. But it's still, it's dated, you know. Uh, TV was a bit different at the time. And it reminded me, it was like a Northern Exposure, great show. Meets the X-Files, great show, which is weird 
because neither Northern Exposure nor The X-Files had premiered. So clearly this show was a huge influence on the television, some of the great shows that came after. So I'm already excited. Oh, side note, coincidentally, David Duchovny's first major role was on Twin Peaks. He then later became Mulder from the X-Files. Guys, the tie-ins. So the show is pretty good, but he's doing this weird thing where he's kind of making it a melodramatic soap opera. He's playing this awful music. Christ almighty, do I hate the theme song. And then I hate the mute. They play this like love music when characters are saying something lovey. Then they play scary music when, you know, scary shit is happening. And it's always the same fucking two things. And uh, the lovey music is so terrible. And... The, and, and I know Lynch is doing it on purpose, but it doesn't change the fact that I hate hearing it. You know, just, just because you're aping a, a soap opera doesn't mean that... Like, I, I, I get it. It's very um, artistic of you, but it doesn't make me want to watch that part. Now, the parts about, you know, the, the weird parts, the Lynchian parts, are so captivating that you keep watching, even though there's a bunch of garbage in each episode that you don't want to watch. About characters you don't give a flying fuck about. And then I watched, and so season one, not not bad at all. Uh, a lot of garbage that I didn't want to see, but I chalked that up to a different time period. And, um, you know, there was still enough interesting to drag me through. Second season starts, and it got canceled in the second season. And for good reason. People started tuning out halfway through, because it was fucking nonsense. It just, it became, I don't know ridiculous not it wasn't very interesting and lynch himself even said we lost our way at some point during season two yeah yeah obviously but now i was glad i was glad to have it all under my belt though so that i would know all the characters and i was ready for one of the highest rated shows of the decade the twin peaks 2017 and it starts amazing it's so good and so weird. He's like, look, David Lynch, a very prominent director, Canadian, by the way, prominent director who's had 27 years of an amazing career behind him now in between the two series. So obviously he's going to fucking knock it out of the park, right? It starts with this awesome shit. All of the weird stuff from the first incarnation of the show that you really liked. That is all that the first few episodes are about. All of it. And you're like, yes, you got it. You trimmed the fat, buddy. You, you know, now you know without I'm, I'm watching a master storyteller. Until the fifth fucking episode. Well, actually, around the fourth episode, he just, scenes start getting a little long, a little meandering. You know what? He leaves the camera on characters so long. And it's a stylistic choice, sure. And it creates a weird, creepy atmosphere for, for a bit. But it's, at a certain point, it starts to bore you. Well, at least me. And listen, guys, all right? I'm going to say, David Lynch, obviously, obviously he could mean every single thing he's doing. 
But here's the thing, guys. All right, I... I... I hesitate to say this, but I think David Lynch might be guessing a little bit. And I know. Blasphemy. Mark, what do you know? How many amazing films have you directed? But I'm talking about the films too, guys. Mulholland Drive, I liked. Liked it a lot. Lost Highway, yeah, I liked it. But it's just, I'm not sure David Lynch knows what his movies mean. You know what I mean? And I know, it's like, oh, Art, you can interpret. It's just, it's open-ended, man. Yeah, but the director himself should have a clear idea of what he wants to say, right? And and maybe David Lynch does. I'm sure there are people out there who want to punch me in the balls right now. But I don't know if he knows exactly what he wants to say. That's just... I thought that a little bit when I watched his movies, and when I saw the original Twin Peaks, I felt that big time. That he was just kind of throwing shit at the wall and going like, yeah. But I, I just, I had so much faith in him, in this new one. And then, like I said, I started to notice that I wanted to fast forward a few scenes in the new one around episode four because it was starting to get dragged out. And then they fucking killed this kid. Like, they kill, like, a five-year-old kid on the road. And then they, they show him, like, the kid with his mom and her wailing for, like, five minutes. Oh, it's a powerful scene. This is so powerful. Let me tell you something, all right? People who make movies and films and all this fucking shit. It's such a cop-out to show something disturbing. You know, like... And from what I can gather, I don't know. I haven't watched the rest of it yet. It really broke my heart. I didn't it bro- like I didn't want to see that type of scene, nor do I want to continue watching the show. And I don't know if it will pay any dividend whatsoever. It doesn't seem to be really related to the narrative from what I can gather. I think this is a one-off because they they call the bo- like boy or something in in the credits so i don't think he'll ever come back or they'll ever reference him again it was just for shock value and that's all it fucking was it's for shock value and that's why i now think he's guessing you know i'll watch i'll try to watch the rest of the show i'm angry at it but i'll try to watch the rest of the show and maybe i'm wrong maybe that is an essential thing he needed to do but look we're watching you Game of Thrones people and you fucking, you know, shows that are cruel to animals and killing babies and killing children and watching their mothers writhe in agony. Like, we're watching entertainment. And I'm not saying we have to feel good all the time, but you don't have to make people legitimately feel depressed. And and remember, not remember, but but make people think about horrible tragedies. That I don't know. There are I'm sure there are people who think, oh, you you should, you definitely should. And I think that there are ways to tell a story without making people sick to their stomach, where they want to turn it off. You know, it's like when you have a, you know, when you have a bad guy wrestler, 
all right, from WWE wrestling. If he's a bad guy wrestler and people boo him because, like, they, they're, boo, we hate you, but they don't really hate him. They, they love to hate him. You know what I mean? They love booing the guy. And then, but then sometimes they'll just make a character so shitty that people legitimately, they don't boo, they're just bored. They're like, get out of here. I know you're trying to be there. You try to make a bad guy, but this bad guy is legitimately boring. We don't want him around. I feel like that when when you do something like Lynch did by killing that kid the way he did it. Because, look, in Breaking Bad, they killed the kid, too. But the kid didn't have any family around. It was a quick scene. Um, they cut right after the kid got shot. You know, it. There were ways to make it more palatable, even though I didn't love it when Breaking Bad did that. Um, but it did. It was a major turning point for that show. In this show, they already had the guy was already a, an asshole, crack addict, drug dealing scumbag who just said he was going to rape a woman in the previous scene. We already hated him. He didn't need to run over a child. For us now, like now, I just don't want to watch your show. You know, I just don't want to fucking see it now. And that's maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. I don't think people want to watch a show and get upset. And there's another reason I think David Lynch is is guessing because there are those out there who do who are drawn to major tragedy. And they want to see movies and shows about major tragedy. But Twin Peaks is quirky. One of the reasons we love uh, we love Agent Cooper and his quirkiness and his love of coffee and donuts. And like I said, it's got that northern exposure, you know, uh, small town feel to it. You know, yes, there are horrific tragedies. And I know that that's what he's going for, that this seedy underbelly that... Hey, the American dream is this. It all looks like roses on the surface, but just under the surface is this horrific, you know, evil. I get it. I know what you're trying to say, but we're still enjoying the characters and their interactions, and you're feeling good, and then you throw in, like, this type of awfulness. And it just, to me, it seems like it doesn't fit. And I'll tell you what else. They have Michael Sarah, and he's doing a Brando uh, impression in the middle of the fucking show, and it's such a comedic farce, like breaking the fourth wall, seemingly, where now it's all, it's like a com- comedy improv show. That's just, I don't know. I'm just telling the truth. I think David Lynch, may, he's no Kubrick. You know what I mean? And I'm sorry, David, if you're listening, but this is how I feel, and perhaps I'm just not well-versed enough in film and TV but I've watched my fair share. And um, Shining, most horrific, disturbing movie, just uh, brilliant. And there's a couple of kids got murdered in that show, in, in that movie. And but the way he did everything was just so perfect and not upset. It was upsetting, but in the way Kubrick wanted you to be upset, not in the way where you were reminded of human tragedy in a w- in a way that you just you just didn't feel like watching a movie anymore. You know Kubrick never did that. But that's what Lynch did. He made it like that oh, well I don't feel like fucking watching TV now. Jesus Christ. 
Thanks for bringing it up. For Christ's sake, I was enjoying your fucking show. And and like I said, if it had somehow was integral to the story, I still wouldn't have been happy about it. But I'd be like, all right. You know, and with the Michael Sarah doing the Brando impression and then the, you know, he's all over the map. I think he's guessing. I think he's. I I think that, but what he does, what he's great at is mood. You know, and he's a brilliant director in many ways. But I'm just not sure he has it all together. He's hard working. I'll give him that. Works as hard as a Filipino nanny. But I don't know. Like, I was enjoying the show. I really was. I would I was right now I'd be looking forward to ending the podcast, going up and watching another episode. And now it's got this pall over it. You know, like like it went in, in a movie where uh like in I'll tell you here's a good example, a fucking um American Psycho. You know, that looked like a movie I wanted to watch. And then at one early on in the movie, he kills a hobo, like a nice hobo, uh that yeah, that the audience has huge empathy for. He kills him, and then his little dog watches him kill the hobo. So the dog starts whimpering, going, "Don't kill my master!" And then, then he stomps on the dog and kills the dog. And I fucking hate that movie. I hate it. We, yeah, he's an American psycho. We get it. He's a psychotic person. He kills people. He don't have. He doesn't have a conscience. Well, we have consciences. We don't like seeing innocent animals and people killed. And so if you're going to do those type of things, be fucking good at screenwriting and do it in a way that makes people a that make that allows people to watch your movie and not hate it. You know, they're like I said, what 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 what's more disturbing than the shining or the exorcist? You know, or uh, Dexter, for fuck's sake. Dexter was a d- d- very disturbing show. But there are certain things that you shouldn't do because they're cheap. And they make... Uh, John Wick is another one. They killed a fucking dog in John Wick. It took me three months to turn on... It's this popcorn, stupid fucking action movie that would be good to enjoy with its action, except they killed this dog. And I look at it and I go, why... Why am I watching this fucking shit? I don't like being reminded of cruelty. I was watching entertainment. And go kill go kill a person. Kill a bad guy. Kill a good guy. You know, just, but do it right. Don't do it in a way that makes people turn your shit off. It's poor writing. That's what it is. You're going for shock value and you're going with cruelty, but what you don't realize is that that's a terrible plot device. It's weak. It means you've got holes in your narrative, and it also means people don't want to watch your shit anymore. Oh, man. Now I just, now I went to, now I'm in a dark place. You know what I need to do, guys? I need to meditate. I, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break out the headspace. I'm going to going to do it apparently. You have to the fir- first little bit's free and then you have to buy more stuff, I think. That's how they get you. Meditation they say 
is very much like drugs. First one's free. Once they get you hooked on that high, buddy, breathing in and out of the old diaphragm, can't get enough of that high. I got to be paying a monthly subscription fee now. <laughs>